Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Joining me right now, Chris Snee, and we got Josh Newberg uh, joining us over FaceTime. Bob Ferrante will be here in a little bit to help break down uh, Miami, Florida State. But, but right now, let's talk a little bit of recruiting. This is a huge recruiting weekend, or at least should be on paper for Florida State, uh, hosting its rival Miami. Uh, so, Josh, welcome. Uh, what do you got for us in terms of uh, what to expect on the recruiting trail this weekend? What's up, fellas? How you guys doing? It's rivalry week. We, 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 we feeling the energy? Bring up the energy, yeah! Woo! Chris, Chris is officially dead inside. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm good. Chris is fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's fire, fire awesome. burning around him. Yes. Uh, all right, so let's get into it a little bit. Uh, we got a big visit weekend coming up with the Florida State Miami game being held in Tallahassee. Several official visitors, several unofficial visitors, and then there's a handful of big names that we just don't know whether or not they're going to make it in or not. So some of the big official visitors for this weekend would include four-star wide receiver Jalen Waddell, uh, Florida State commitment, offensive lineman Veritas Brown. He's going to be coming in on official defensive tackle from Texas, Bobby Brown, four-star defensive tackle. He's coming in on an official visit. Kelvin Joseph, a defensive back that just recently decommitted from LSU, he'll be in. Uh, Houston Griffith, a safety that we all have on commitment watch. He's been high on Florida State for some time now. He'll take his official visit, and we wouldn't be surprised if he makes a decision somewhere, you know, shortly after his trip, if not while he's still on campus. But that rounds out the official visitors. Uh, Some of the unofficial visitors that we're looking forward to is the Oregon commitment, Warren Thompson. Uh, Georgia offensive lineman Trey Hill. We got a big uh, defensive lineman that's a battle between the Canes and and Knowles, so this one's real relevant, and Dennis Briggs. And, uh, you know, we're watching to see if Patrick Sertain Jr., the number one cornerback in the nation, shows up along with five-star teammate Tyson Campbell. Uh, Those two are ones that, before we start recording, me and Chris were just comparing some notes and, you know, seeing if they're going to come in. So, Chris... As far as guys on the bubble, um, who do, who are you expecting, and who do you think ends up being a no-show? Well, with Sertain and Campbell, according to both the young man and Sertain's father, um, who's also his high school coach, they're either going to show up at FSU or Florida. But as of, I believe it was Wednesday, when Luke Stampini from our Florida site spoke to him, they hadn't decided which one. So it was kind of still up in the air. I've sent a message today to little Pat, uh, who's not so little, to see if he's coming in, and uh, Little Pat. I've not heard back from him, so I don't know yet. And then, of course, a big dangling carrot is Justin Fields. We don't currently have him on our list. It wouldn't surprise me if he shows up in Tallahassee, but at the same time, when we've spoken to sources within the program, they're not expecting him. Now, they could be sandbagging for all we know, but that's what they're telling us. Are you guys done with him as a Florida State if he doesn't show. if he doesn't show up no, this weekend? No, no, no not if he doesn't show up. These aren't good signs. Yeah, it's clearly not trending in a very good direction. Yeah. I and mean, that's been true even before this. This is, you know, whether it's this week or the Louisville week, whenever it is, if they are able to get him on campus, they got to take a big swing. It's I just want to know when you're going to move your crystal important. ball, Chris. I just want to know. <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball on him, and the guy on the other end of the line, Josh Newberg's considering flipping it to red and black. Ooh. Considering it. But, uh... I mean, out of the visitors we've mentioned, I think Dennis Briggs is obviously a very important one. I wholeheartedly expect him to show up. Houston Griffith, obviously, is a guy that has the most potential of delivering good news to a fan base that severely needs it. And then a guy you didn't mention that I'm high on is 2019 defensive end Chris Bogle. 
He's a guy that's very interested yeah. about FSU and Miami. He's super talented, kind of in the mold of Brian Burns. He's a very, very talented 2019 kid that they love. He told me earlier in the week he expects to be here this weekend. Yeah, um, it's going to be a real interesting weekend. Um, I think if FSU was rolling, I think maybe we'd see a couple more official visitors this weekend. Um, it's interesting to see, you know, they still have to have, make, even though it doesn't look and feel like this is going to be another four-state win, the coaching staff has to bring, they only have so many opportunities to put on a show at home. With what Florida State's home schedule looks like, there's only so many games. And you also got to remember, these kids want to be in this game. And a coach isn't going to say, hey, no, 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 let's, uh, let's bring you in for Louisville or let's bring you in for a different game. No, they want to be in the stadium for this rivalry game. Uh, at this point, you got to have confidence that you're going to go out and at least put on a show. So we'll see what happens. Um, we're kind of in a holding pattern, though. It's it, it's a it's a weird predicament for Florida State to be in because they're used to controlling their own destiny, especially on the recruiting trail. You know, they they held the cards. They knew like, oh, this season's going to heat up. We're going to win some ball games and we're going to start recruiting really well. We don't know right now, and we're at one and two. We could be at one and three in, in, in when we wake up in three days. And uh, if, if Florida State gets off to a one and three start, you know they, they're no longer in control of their destiny when it comes to recruiting because they're used to the logo doing the work. And Florida State isn't built in, in terms of recruiting for the logo not to be doing the bulk of the work. We see it every year; it's inevitable. Uh, when when we see recruitments turn like a Brian Burns and a Joshua Kando and even a Cam Akers, Marvin Wilson. You know, we sit back in, in August, September, and October and think, man, Florida State's, you know, just on the outside looking in for these recruits. And then every year we see November, December, January come around, and we see recruiting start heating right back up because that logo is so shiny and nice, it does the job for them. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. They, they did catch a little bit of luck with the, as of right now on Thursday afternoon when, when we were recording this, that the looks like the storm is not going to delay the game. Florida State said the show is going to go on as planned. Were they at all worried or concerned if they had to either move uh, move the game up to noon on Saturday or move it to Friday that they weren't going to have? I mean, this is such a big weekend um, yeah. for recruiting. Yeah. Like, it could have been disastrous, From a right? logistics standpoint, if it moves to Friday, they're not getting a vast majority of these guys. Yeah. Right. Even officials are going to be complicated. Um, yeah. Or guys that have buys, basically. And if it was moved to Saturday at noon, I don't know if it would have affected officials as much. It probably would have made a few of the travel plans a little more tight window-wise. Mm-hmm. But uh, unofficial visits would be drastically reduced just because, you know, anywhere from Tallahassee of substance is three or more hours. Yeah. You know, so you're talking 9 a.m. departure to get here for a noon kick. You don't want a kid getting here at kick. You want them getting here at 10.30 a.m. So mm-hmm. you're talking 7.30 a.m. for a Jacksonville kid. And those kids are all for example. playing the night before. Right. So until it just, we, we yeah. saw what a noon kick recruiting outlook looks like when we hosted NC State here yeah. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So, yeah, it would have been disastrous. And I know there was people within the football offices that were, you know, obviously Mother Nature and safety are first and foremost, but they were clearly hoping it wouldn't change. They've not really been dealt any good luck in yeah. things they couldn't control in a month. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, w- it would have altered the weekend drastically. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of concern, but it was more like, I can't believe this is happening again type stuff. <laughs> um, but luckily, like Chris said, if, if this thing forced the game to noon or even to Friday, uh, you're going to have a lot of change in plans, and, and especially on a Friday. So it's... It, 
it's definitely a good thing that this game's being played at 3.30. Fans are going to be in the stands. Recruits are going to be on the sidelines. And uh, should be a good game. Yeah, and it, the thing is, it's a huge weekend. I don't think a win necessarily, or I'm sorry, I don't think a loss necessarily would doom them on a big weekend. If the atmosphere is good, it's a competitive game. There's reasons that kid's going to stay engaged. Those things will pay off win or loss. Obviously, with a win, the emotion's a little different. It's a little higher. It impacts the kid a little differently. But loss, in this situation, I don't think dooms this class. I don't think it destroys the possibility of these kids that are showing up being a part of it down the line. You know, some sometimes when a kid watches a team lose, he thinks about how can I change it? How can I come in? What's the impact I can make? So, you know, people get really tied up in wins and losses in recruiting. It's not as important as people think. Winning always helps, obviously. Yeah. A very successful yeah. program automatically recruits for itself. But in, right. in, in losing, you can always sell the story of you can be the change. You can be the guy that alters the future for this program. So, you want more the the stuff around it, though, to be right, whether right. you, you need the atmosphere, you need people good to atmosphere. Be, yeah. yeah, you want a receiver to see that the passing game can be effective. You want a defensive <laughs> lineman to see that you're going to get after the opposing quarterback. You want the guys in the secondary to see that it's a talented secondary. Yeah, guys kind of focus in hyper to their position. You know, mm-hmm. that's what they care about more than anything when they're watching a game. So it's an important weekend. Obviously, it would be better for FSU if they win. The atmosphere would be better automatically if they win. But, you know, I, I don't think kids are coming in thinking, you know, if they lose and they're 1-3, and three, I'm just done with them. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's the case for a vast majority of those kids. No, I agree with Chris. We've talked about this on, on other podcasts as well. But overall, for looking at the big picture, I do think if Florida State drops this game, they're looking at a four, maybe even a five loss season at that point. And you can kind of, you should temper your expectations down the stretch. I don't think we're going to see the explosion like we did last, you know, December when they landed Kane Doe, then Trey McKitty, then Cam Makers, and then that carried over into signing day. Um, I don't think you, you should expect a run like that to the finish because it's momentum and momentum for Florida State has generally started when the season began, you know, and it's, and it just continues to build. So we'll see what comes out of this one. Um, I'm real interested to see, you know, win or lose what, what the kids are saying afterward, because it's been a while since Florida State's hosted a true big visit weekend. Um, I think we, we could see maybe a commitment win or lose from a uh, Houston Griffith, who Chris and I have talked a lot about on both the site and these podcasts. But Houston Griffith is really down to Notre Dame and FSU. He took a visit to Notre Dame, an official visit to Notre Dame, about a month ago. So you got to think, after this visit, he's going to be ready to make a decision, whether it be the next day or in the coming week. But I, I do think Houston Griffith will... Uh, will announce his decision sometime after his visit. And right now I have him crystal ball to Florida State. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I have him crystal ball to FSU as well. Okay. So really outside of that, I'm not I'm not expecting another commitment. Is there some more, someone out there that you got your eyes on, Chris? No. I mean, a guy like Dennis Briggs has said he's going to wait a good while. Jalen Waddles in no rush with other visits planned. Bobby Brown's a long shot walking through the door. Same for Kelvin Joseph. So, no, there's not another guy that I would point to as a likely candidate to end up a seminal in the immediate future. All right. The only wild card would be, like, a, a 2019 kid that maybe if they won and he was in the locker room and, you know, decided to make his decision then. 
right, all right, Josh. We're gonna we're gonna call a timeout here. We actually uh, it is gonna be a big recruiting weekend. So it looks like they're recruiting. Uh, they're setting up in the recruiting room with tables right now. I'm not sure if you can hear it on your end. So we're gonna uh, pause the podcast for now. And I guess we'll let you run here too, so you don't have to sit around and wait. So. Uh, perfect Sounds timing good. before the ADHD kicks in. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, my work here is done. It Thank is. You guys. All right, sorry that was an abrupt transition, but uh, that's the the pleasure of uh, recording in a uh, in an open uh, open area to the public. Uh, you're gonna get a little bit of uh, clutter sometimes, but that's what we're here for: is to eliminate the clutter, keep our eye on the prize, take it one podcast at a time. All right, so Josh uh, leaves us, uh, tapping out, tapping in for him. Bob Ferrante, Bob, welcome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Florida State Miami. I know the uh, you know there's not a whole lot of buzz right now. Florida State's a three-point underdog uh, going into the game, at least on Thursday as we're recording this, which is weird. They started off as a one-point favorite, uh, and the line has shifted. Um, but I guess what's interesting about the line shifting is is it sounds like a lot of the, like the big money's on Florida State, and a lot of the the public and the smaller bets is, is on Miami. So. Um, and I think that's going to be what's interesting about this game as we look at it is we have a good idea of what Florida State is at this point. They've played Alabama. They've played NC State. They've played Wake Forest uh, on the road. So we got a decent barometer of them playing quality opponents. Uh, Miami, on the other hand, um, gets Bethune-Cookman, gets Toledo. Yeah, Bob, Bob just throws up his, his hands and, and got uh, at Duke was probably their toughest uh, one to date. Uh, so we don't have a great idea of what Miami is, but Bob, as you started to do research for this, I guess what stands out to you about Miami, which is undefeated entering uh, Saturday's game? I think I like Miami's balance on offense. I mean, they've, they've got the capability to to run the ball a lot with Mark Walton. Mm-hmm. They can also sling it around with, with Mike Rozier, who was really not the quarterback that I think Florida State fans expected to see. There was a lot of talk about But the about one it. Miami deserved. Well, I, I just heard from Mark Rick that Nikosi Perry was the next Charlie Ward, and I assumed that Charlie Ward was going to come walking through that door on September 16th, and I think we were all wrong. Anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Um, I like at the. Uh, I only saw the the transcript at the ACC uh, uh, media day. Someone asked DeAndre Francois. I think Miami beat writers were there. What he thought about uh, Nikosi Perry. And in the transcript, he goes, who's that? <laughs> he had no yeah. idea who he was. It's always good. It's always good to see that quarterbacks are, are well aware of the competition <laughs> around them. Hey, you know, Miami is kind of like kind of like Florida State in a little bit of a sense where, you know, they didn't uh, have well, they didn't as have many warm-up <laughs> games. Well, but some of the least impressive three wins, let's let's be honest, at least the first two. That's kind of what Miami's been the last few years, yeah. right, is that not a whole lot of – yeah, they come into the Florida State yeah. games with, with a good record, and there's not a great sense for what they are because, like, the hardest team on their schedule probably would have been Arkansas State. No, and they didn't play them, so I don't know. And a lot of Walton's yards came against a really bad Toledo defense. Yeah, I think that was over Cookman. 200, and he still had the ankle injury and came back. He's, he's had a banged-up ankle the last two games. Mm-hmm. He has, you know, come back and fought through it. He's lived in the training room all week from what we're hearing from the Miami coaches. Fully expected to go. But I think you, you always wonder, is Mark Walton going to be like like Dalvin Cook good on a bad wheel, or is he going to be, you know, mm. pretty good? And, and we've seen some film of Mark Walton. He's really impressive, and he's very versatile. But I think you always wonder how much can he contribute. I think that's a really big factor, especially if we have a lot of rain and wind, and it's tough for quarterbacks. But as we've learned at FSU in recent weeks, if your O-line doesn't play very well, it doesn't matter how talented your running backs are. That's true. And uh, Shade. You know, when I look Shade. at FSU-Miami, one of the first matchups I think FSU has a decisive advantage in is their D-line versus Miami's mm-hmm. offensive line. I agree. So to some degree, I think that 
keeps Walton under his averages, you know, the nine point whatever he's averaging oh, per carry, what he's taking per game. I think he's under that. That's all smoke and mirrors. To yeah. me, the more concerning things is does FSU allow Braxton Berrios, Chris Herndon, and Amon Richards, yeah. two of those guys are receivers, Herndon's a tight end, do they allow them to make plays vertically down the field for Malik Rogier? Because mm-hmm. if Rogier is able to have success vertically down the field, FSU's in deep, deep trouble. Yeah. Because that Miami offense is talented enough to do a lot of different things. If you force Malik to do a lot of underneath passing, mm-hmm. don't give him a lot of time, pressure him. You know, I don't look at Miami's offense as a juggernaut that their stats make them out to be. Correct. No, I, I think they've had, you know, some padding of stats. This is something yeah. when we look at Florida State and, you know. It, I've, it I've, would be the same for FSU if FSU had played Louisiana Monroe. Monroe. Well, because you, you, Louisiana Monroe and Delaware State early you, on. Cause they've you, gotten you juice a, the yeah. stats with those kind of games yeah. and it makes you sort of, you know, not potentially what you really are. Yeah, yep. You know, I've had some fun with stats uh, at Florida State's expense a little bit because they have been so bad comparatively to other teams, but they've only had three games and they've all been against uh, what will be bowl eligible teams, whereas most other teams in the country have an FCS opponent or a lower level. You know, if you're a group of five uh, team, you know, a group of five game on your schedule. If you're a Power Five team, Florida State hasn't had any of those, so it's hard to kind of look at just the numbers and say, okay, this is where Florida State has a decisive advantage. This is where Miami does. I do agree with you, Chris, that I'm not I'm not crapping on Mark Walton. Like I think he's a really nice back, and he's capable if you give him some room of doing some you know some damage. Uh, but more of a almost a guy that I think is going to be like a pretty good pro because he does everything so well. He's going to be be just as impactful at the next level. Uh, but it doesn't strike me as a dynamic guy. You know, Bob, you mentioned Dalvin Cook. What he did in this rivalry for three years in a row was pretty incredible. Um, yeah. I don't see Walton as being a guy who takes over. He had a bad ankle, as Chris, you mentioned or uh, maybe Bob mentioned, someone mentioned that he had a bad ankle and he did it against Duke. Uh, but you look at his numbers, like he had was averaging nine yards a carry in the opener against Bethune-Cookman, then 18.5 against a Toledo run defense that's been bad against everyone, and then goes against Duke, and I think averages like three yards a carry. Yeah. When it comes to FSU versus their offense, I'm far more concerned about Berrios breaking yeah. a big play with an eye violation or Amon Richard just being as good as Amon Richards is. And he's, he doesn't, I guess he hasn't gotten super involved, but they haven't well, needed him to. Well, he this. missed two games with a hamstring yeah. injury. He came back against Duke. Duke. I don't think he was quite 100% and had three catches for 106 and a touchdown. Yeah, he had I mean, a big one. Yeah, his big play him. potential was off the charts. He's yeah. the best receiver in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tyree's pretty good in Gainesville, and Onan Tate's not too bad in Tallahassee. Yeah, no, he's the he's projects as a really he's only a sophomore as a really good NFL player and yeah they only get him the ball three times in the first game but like that's you know that's all, all he needed to make it he blew that game open against Duke and kind of gave him the cushion they they needed I think that's kind of the area if you're Florida State you you have to make them one-dimensional uh you got to try to take away you know you got to take away Walton with the run game and you got to force uh Rozier to be a good quarterback yeah. uh, you can't give him the play action you can't let him have time in the pocket. You have to kind of force him to be a throwing quarterback and take away his mobility a little bit. I think if you do that, you have a chance to, to slow them down. And this should be his greatest challenge to date. Theoretically, yeah. I mean, Duke, Duke's guy had as a good defense, but yeah. it, it but <laughs> Florida, Florida State's more talented, but that doesn't always mean – Right. Yeah. But on the flip side of talking about FSU's D-line having advantage against Miami's O-line, Miami's defensive front seven has a massive advantage against that, That's probably O-line. the strength of Miami's team is that front seven. They're young, but they're athletic and yeah. really good. And this has the potential to get ugly for, for Florida State and James Blackman. Great linebackers who fly out of the ball. I think they're going to take away a lot of the short passes. That, that's mm-hmm. where, where Blackman has tried to accumulate some cheap yards. The screens might get eaten up. The short runs where 
you know, maybe if the lead blocker like uh, like Jonathan Vickers isn't quite on point, you know, that we might see a Cam Akers or Jaquez Patrick get wrapped up pretty easily. I think the linebackers as well as the front four, you know, maybe Miami's front four got all the notoriety in the preseason because they're up there in that top ten. Mm-hmm. But really when you talk about Miami, it's it's the whole front seven and what they do. So, again, if the rain isn't, isn't a huge factor, we could see Blackman, if he's got some time, put it over the top and work against that secondary. It's questionable for Miami. But I think you, you still have major questions about, one, can the pass protection hold up? Two, is Blackman going to be able to throw a wet ball? It's going to be a pretty wet, windy game. We, He's got those gloves, so he'll be fine. I, I'm, not, I'm not too <laughs> confident there. Uh, yeah, looking at Miami's defensive front going off of what Bob said, I mean, they're really good. Uh, and, and this is the fourth defensive line in a row that Florida State's going against. That, that's good to you know, possibly great, and this is one of the better ones in the country. Uh, and you look at like some of their strengths, like they're, you know, they're not as big or burly as Alabama or even NC State. But this is one that's going to be pretty darn quick, and they're deep. Uh, Norton's a big boy, though. Norton's the one only guy I think that's three hundred plus, plus yeah. pounds, and, and then he, he's got girth to him and fairly quick feet for a man his size. He does a very good job in the middle. He kind of sets up things for guys like Joe Jackson and Chad Thomas. I like Joe edge. Jackson a lot. He's yeah, uh, and then you he got impressive uh, against Duke. Uh, Shaq Quarterman and Mike Pickney are a ridiculously good linebacker yeah. dude, and they clean so much up for Miami. You know, if Miami's front is at fault for a play, Quarterman and Pickney do a phenomenal job of ending the play at the second mm-hmm. level. It's a really aggressive defensive front, so, I mean, that's the, you're going to see more tackles for loss. Florida State's coming off of – uh, giving up 17 to Wake Forest, and, and based on uh, some of the stuff that SB Nation has with the stats that they keep, uh, they've been stuffed. You know, you either you know, tackle out the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage on 34% of their runs this year, which is worse than the nation. 130th out of 130 teams. Um, pulling up uh, Miami's here. They're somewhere like in the top. Yeah, they're uh, somewhere in the top. Eh, I'm not going to screw around too much, but I think top 15 in uh, in stuffs for the defense. Yeah. So it's a team that's aggressive and gets to the backfield and makes plays versus one that allows it to happen. There's a recipe for disaster there for Florida State. They're averaging 3.6 sacks per game and nine tackles for loss Woo! per game. Yep. Miami's so there you go. And a vast majority of that is coming from the defensive line. And Florida the State's allowing 10.5 tackles for loss per game, which is the worst in the Yeah, if, if you're going to beat good. Miami's defense, it's getting corners in this defensive backs as a whole kind of one-on-one situations and winning those yeah it's, it's something you're capable of doing they're kind of feast or famine to some degree in their secondary i, I you think know. you have to attack the middle of the field like that's been something that florida state hasn't the done the good news is fsc has been splendid at that this year <laughs> they haven't really done it when they have they've been fine it's a small sample size blackman's five of seven when attacking inside the tackle boxes 70 yards like he's been efficient when he's done it but it's few and far between. And that's, I think then you have to start looking at the reason why for that, and that's something that, you know, as much as we can look at it, like without knowing what the play calls are or what the reads are, like I don't I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. Like this is exactly why they aren't attacking the middle of the field. Tight ends and backs are keys to attacking the middle of the field. And FSC's and you're, not done a whole lot of getting the ball to either correct. those units. And some of that's the fault of those units, not necessarily the fault of play calling and such. You know, tight ends haven't played particularly well. Yeah, I went back and rewatched the uh, Wake Forest game, and tight ends played probably the worst game they've played this year. And then the running back group, you know, it's kind of been a mixed bag of how they've been used so far. A lot of that is also being forced to keep guys in as additional blockers, so mm-hmm. it's taking away those options to some degree. But at the same time, I haven't seen a whole lot of quick slants and working receivers. And that's what, uh, Duke and, gave up, yeah. or Duke got a lot of that against Miami. At least saw that had some had some success in that in that area. Oh, hey Wayne, Wayne's joining us. Wayne McGahey, the Tallahassee Democrat. Okay. Hi. 
the <laughs> something else to throw in there about the Miami D is they're giving up 376 yards. This is the last time we record this damn podcast in public. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Was a good point. I think I yeah, heard part of it. They're giving up 376 yards per outing. So I mean, they're uh, very through the air. Yeah, no, no, no. In general. Oh, okay. That that's as a whole. That's ranked 63rd. So pretty yeah. much smack dab middle of the country ranking. But they're only giving up 16.3 points, mm-hmm. and really a vast majority of that's a Toledo game. Mm-hmm. They were one of only two teams in the last five years to not allow a touchdown to Duke. I had to fit that stat in. That's a good one. That's that that a good one. But yeah, Duke did not score a touchdown against them, and that's only twice in the last five years. Duke hasn't done that as an offense. I mean, that is pretty impressive. I would describe their defense as bend don't break, and they've been very effective at that. Yeah. And again, we go back to the caliber of opponent. But at the same time, yeah, it's who you play at the time. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Toledo is the yeah. only team that truly found success against them, and mm-hmm. they they did that for a half. And then the second half, Miami really took advantage of that game and ran away with it. So let, let's project of what, and we'll do the, our our scores and keys and predictions post uh, on Friday afternoon. So I don't think we're going to go with uh, scores just yet. But I guess looking at how Florida State can be successful, I. I how does Florida State attack Miami? Let's start on offense. How do you think Florida State can find success against what looks to be a pretty stout, solid, well-rounded Miami defense, especially up front? Figure out what plays you can be really effective at and that won't cause, you know, miscues prior to the snap and live off those plays. Mm-hmm. And you just got to be consistent. I don't think it's a matter of FSU. He's going to be able to hit a whole lot of big plays. I think you go max protect once in a while, try to go vertical in those situations. But I'm talking about a lot of running the ball, a lot of quick passes getting out of Blackman's hand, a lot of underneath stuff where you just slowly but surely move the chain and hope eventually you can break a play because everything goes right. You know, guys block on the edge, stuff like that. Offensively, I think that's what FSU's got to do. More running, more cam acres, Jaquez Patrick at times. You've, you've got to be able to move the chains on third and one. It's going to be a key down where you've got to be able to uh, continue drives. I think, you know, as Chris mentioned, Miami's been good in the red zone and hasn't allowed a lot of touchdowns. I think they're up like 16 points per game allowing. So so that's where Florida State has really struggled. Three red zone touchdowns, one in each game. If you give them anything, they've been consistently bad in all three as far as, you know, settling for three instead of seven. They're just settling too often for three. You've got to figure out a way to, you know, as you guys said, work the middle of the field with the tight ends and the running backs. But in the end, when you get to the red zone, you have to maximize those opportunities because they're just not going to come along as often against a team like Miami. Yeah, Florida State is 123rd nationally in points scored per once it enters the 40-yard line, which is scoring territory. So that's been teams have consistently scored on Miami in the red zone. They're just not scoring touchdowns. Yeah, well, I think there's like a 90.9 percent success rate in the red zone. Against that means Miami they're making field goals, right? But which is good. And again, Ben, don't break is very much a defensive can, philosophy. It seems. You can live with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the one thing that Florida State did it. Well, it's, I'm, I'm lying. It's not the one thing Florida State did a poor job of uh, against Wake Forest, but something that, that I think killed them and, and had a trickle down effect through the entire offense. But they were terrible on first down, or if they did have a good, you know, first down, getting a penalty, doing something to shoot themselves, can't have negative plays. You gotta, you gotta be able to get two or three yards. You can't shoot yourself in the foot consistently and put James Blackman in third and long. And they did that way too often. I think at the average distance on third down it was third and ten to go. Yeah. Uh, that's that's terrible. Like you can't do that. And Miami's defense is one of the better ones uh, statistically in the country at getting to the quarterback on passing downs. When it's an obvious passing down, they're going to get to the quarterback. They have the they have the guys to do that with their pass rush. They have the, the athleticism. Um, 
so man, you, you got to just carve out two or three yards at a time. If that means going to Jacquez Patrick and hoping he just falls forward for for three yards. You know, I think you said this a week ago or two, Chris. Like third and fourth, like a decent down. Like you're fine with that. Like that gives you a chance. And what we saw from Jimbo Fisher last week is he was so conservative against Wake Forest. Anytime they were behind the chains, he just gave up on it. And to the point where I think that's almost detrimental to your young quarterback. I know he doesn't want to break his young quarterback and put him in a bad spot, but at the same time, you're like pacifying him. He, he addressed that on the call show yeah. last night. And it was, and I mean, it was insightful. It's a fair point. I mean, it, it's you can't. And I don't think it's not a video game. You can't expect your freshman quarterback on third and twenty to find success very often. Defenses know if you're passing the ball, you got to go vertical, you got to go deep. It's got to develop, and when your O line's blocking, like it's a terrible chance, and you put a guy in a bad position. But I I think more so, I should elaborate on that. It wasn't that they weren't going for on third and twenty, giving the ball to Jacquez Patrick for a draw play. That that makes sense. Uh, That tactically, like yes, that's their correct. That's the correct move. I think it's that general approach of of being fearful of what James is going to do. Yeah. There's that, a middle that, ground of the screen game, yeah. stuff like that, that you can turn to and allow your quarterback to get you know a little success and potentially a play to develop if people do their job. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think there's a middle ground. FSU was so ultra-conservative, but I also understand why they weren't going back there and being a gunslinger on yeah. third and long. Yeah, and Jimbo said he doesn't want to get into a, a shootout against Miami, and I got a feeling it won't become a shootout against Miami regardless of how many points Miami scores. I could be completely wrong. They may have tricks up their sleeve that we have no idea. They may just unleash James Blackham, let him throw the ball down the field and, and have some some luck vertically. But uh, with the sample size we've seen so far, Bob shaking his head, Wayne oh, on the other side of the table is laughing. Chris is still dead inside. So, <laughs> All right, shifting to the other side, Florida State's defense has been, I think at this point, it's good. Uh, has moments of greatness. Has moments that just leave you scratching your head where you're like, what the heck? Uh, we think that the Florida State could will more than likely, at least my thought is they're going to slow down Miami enough to give the offense a chance. I don't think this is going to be a game where Miami has consistent success moving the ball. I think they'll have a couple drives here and there uh, as long as the offense puts them in a decent spot and, and not you know forcing the defense to have a short field. I think you realistically hold Miami to less than 25 points or so. One would hope that the defense has some fire in their belly. You think this game would be You're just a, a, rival, a, natural, be a natural thing? Yeah, it should. And that's something they've missed. And I think if they have that fire in their belly, there's enough natural talent on that defense. And Miami, I know they run a lot of RPO now. but well, why you, Why'd you use it? Because the their works. RPO is still very much the quarterbacks in the pocket. It's yeah. not near the RPO you've seen with some other teams. They, yeah. they allow plays to develop more, giving DNs a chance to pin their ears back and go after it. Mm-hmm. It's different than what we've seen the last two weeks with quarterbacks who get rid of ball in two seconds or go. You know, So I think FSU has an opportunity to be more successful at attacking the backfield against the passing attack. I think the biggest thing is you just got to make Walton earn his art yards mm-hmm. and force Malik to beat you. I mean, he's been good. He's been highly efficient. But you got to put the ball in his hands and make him beat you vertically. Make him use guys like Amon Richards, Chris Herndon, Berrios, and win those opportunities when they come. Defense has to show up. It's got to be like Alabama, and it can't yeah. be like we're going to take you for granted, NC State and, and Wake Forest. But I think that comes with respect. I think these players on the defense – they played against a lot of these players on Miami. They were on the recruiting trail and the camps and such. A lot of friendships. They know how good the guy is that they're lining up against. They know if they don't show up, they could get knocked out pretty pretty quickly at home, and it could get really pretty ugly pretty quick. I, I mean, I, I do think Miami has the capabilities to put this game away if, if Florida State's not dialed in and focused. But I, I also at the same time think, you know, this is a game where the pass rush can show up and can put some heat on – on Miami's offensive line, and 
you know, we'll see. It's um, a lot of great matchups within the matchups, you know, seeing how the Miami receivers match up against the Florida State secondary that has been good at times and at others, not so much. Kyle Myers had a really good game. How does he fare in the slot? Maybe mm-hmm. against Barrios, for Ooh. example. Ooh. So we, we've got a lot Fun of... Fun matchup. You, you could literally, I think, focus on certain matchups on certain drives and mm-hmm. just see how, how those one-on-one battles play out. It would be fun to see. It's going to be a chess game between Charles Kelly and Mark Rick. I think this is going to be a lot more checkers than chess, truthfully. <laughs> All right. Let's look at this in, in the – that was funny. In the context of uh, – it's one game. I'm having a hard time describing, like, thinking of how I want – like, this game isn't a litmus test because we already know what Florida State is, I think. Rivalry games are always weird. It, it is well, no, matter, no matter how superior – for example, let's take FSU – what was it, 2014, team was far superior from a talent standpoint compared to Miami. Yeah, you go down to and Miami. came to the last minute. Yeah. Last year was a relatively equal game where Miami had the chance to put FSU away mm-hmm. if Kaya hits a big play. They don't. One hand gets up, FSU wins. The game's weird. No, in Miami, Miami's played Florida State way. much tougher than Florida has during this you know run of success. Like yeah. they've been within. So it's not that I don't think these guys are not. I mean, this team's going to get up. If they don't, like then you're done. Like this season, if you don't get up for this game and you get the doors blown off, then you're done for the foreseeable future. And I think that's I guess where I'm going with as far as. I hate to be overreaction, but one game like so much hinders on not just like the outcome but the optics of it. If remember last year, this was the game that kind of put the team in the right direction. It was going down to Miami and getting the block at, at Hard Rock uh, with Demarcus Walker, that really sent them in the right direction. Got them engaged, got them believing again in a rivalry contest. To what you were saying, I think can kind of get guys engaging, get them more dialed in if they've been kind of waning. And this has been a tough season to focus on after Alabama because of all the weird, you know, Irma stuff and and whatnot. And playing poorly. And well, they were playing poorly, and it's just it's been things have compounded and add to it. Yeah. So I'm saying, if you win that, like that's something that could be a glimmer of hope. On the other side of that, though, if you lose this game, then you're one and three. That loss propels your March rival that you haven't lost to in in most last year wise. It's been seven oh, nine. in a row. 2009, like I was, I was in college still when that happened, um, and that propels them into the top ten. Like, like they'll finally be able to say they're back. And they will. Mean it. They will. They'll be in the top ten, and they have a win over you. And like, not to look, you know, at recruiting rankings in October, but let's look at recruiting rankings in October. Like, Florida State has the 11th class. Miami has the fourth. Yeah. Last year, Florida State had the sixth. Miami had the 12th, which was the closest it's been since 2014 in terms of you know, recruiting rankings. Something I've thought about all week is Bradley Chubb spit on the field afterwards, and Jimbo's comment on that was basically, if you don't want that happening, don't, don't let, let him it. win. Yeah. Well, hell, if Miami wins, they're going to be throwing a dance party on the 50-yard line on the Seminole head. So, you know, if you're an FSU player, walk into that game. If that doesn't motivate you, then just give up. Take yeah. off the uniform. You know, your time's done here. I think Mark Rick needs this win for his program, for recruiting classes, for kids who have not known Miami to be a national power, for kids who have grown up. Their last national title was 2001. How many of these guys, they were in diapers if they were born? I mean, Rick needs this to show that, that Miami is a program where you want to stay home in South Florida and go to Coral Gables and play and be one of the top five or ten teams around. And they, he just – they haven't had a chance to show it through all these years. In the ACC, never winning the Coastal, never playing the ACC title game. <laughs> I think this is a this is a program that really could earn a lot on Saturday night. Or, you know, it could be a close rivalry game, and who knows, a couple breaks go Florida State's way, and 
Maybe we're talking about how it's eight in a row and the Seminoles figured out how again to win in the fourth quarter, as they've done in this rivalry. The last couple of years, they've made enough plays in the fourth quarter to get the win. All right. No no score predictions, but uh, win or loss for Florida State. Chris? I'm leaning towards win by a narrow margin. Mm-hmm. I, uh, just, I think it will be a weird game, and I think uh, it, being it in Tallahassee, I'm going to win by a narrow margin. If it was in Coral Gables, I'd probably go loss by a narrow margin. Bob? I'm going to go win by a narrow margin. Yucky, ugly game, a lot of rain and wind, not a lot of scoring. FSU's defense comes to play. Wayne, what do you have? Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that... No, it was uh, yes or no, or no, win well, or loss. First off, I'd like to point out that uh, Miami does not actually play in Coral Gables. You're too far you know, away from uh, the mic. You just need to specific. say... Uh, no, I have, I have Miami winning this game. I don't think uh, Florida State's good enough. I, I'm in the same boat. I, I have Miami winning. But it's a rivalry game, so where things can happen... I don't um, think it's far-fetched. I think it's a game where if you gave me seven points for either team, I would take the other team in those yeah, points. I had like, a, I, I, that's how I feel about it. I had a friend that likes to put peanuts and Cracker Jacks down on on sporting events, and he asked me if he would take Florida State giving three, and I said I wouldn't touch that game. I just, I just, I for me, it comes back to I'm not going to believe Malik Rozier beats FSU till he does it. That truthfully is like what it I mean, if Brad Kaya couldn't do it, no. the Messiah. How many big games wait, did Kaya win? Wait, wait is Messiah there? a good thing or a bad thing? Kaya and Messiah would rhyme. Ooh. Well, par- Pariah is the bad. Messiah is Here good. we go. We're fun off the All right, guys. <laughs> getting to wrap it up. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have a narrow Florida State win for Chris. Bob thinking Florida State win. Wayne saying Florida State loss. I am right now as of Thursday afternoon in the camp that Florida State loses uh, and the streak ends. Sorry, guys. All right, for the Knowles 24-7 podcast, I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks for joining me, and uh, we'll talk to you on Monday.